Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. Well, good morning, everybody. So glad that you're here today. How many of you remember when you were in school and you had a substitute teacher and they would step into the classroom and they would say, your teacher gave me some busy work to give to you today? How many of you loved busy work? Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. How many of you, your employers give you busy work? Pastor Madison, put your hand down. I saw you trying to raise your hand, Pastor Dan. Yeah, I would, somebody told on you. They said first service, Pastor Dan was back there with two hands up. I don't give y'all busy work. Y'all crazy. Nobody loves busy work. You don't love it in school and you don't love it at your job because you realize that what you're doing doesn't make a difference. Like it's not going to matter for you to do it or whether you don't do it. And I just want to tell you this morning, what we're going to talk about is how God has created us and how he's wired us. Because I believe that for all of us, we want to get to the end of this race of faith and know that we lived our life to the max for the glory of God and that we made a difference, right? That we took the gifts and the abilities that he gave to us and we used them for his glory, that we didn't waste it. This, this life that we're living is not busy work. God has not created us just to survive and make it through a day. Instead, he has created us and wired us and shaped us and formed us to wreak havoc on the enemy, right? And so as we've been in this series called Unearth, that's what we've been talking about. Erica and I were at the Village Church in Dallas, Texas a, almost a year ago at a conference in, uh, and Pastor Matt Chandler preached this message that was so powerful in the midst of, of a series and I thought, you know what, this is a message and a series for our church and so I've been taking these messages from this series and personalizing it for our congregation and it has been fun to see over the last few weeks the deep heart work that's taken place in some of your lives. Some of you have talked with us and shared with us stories of what God is doing in your life through the result of this series. If you've missed any of these messages, I would encourage you to go online and watch or listen at crosspointwaverly.com or YouTube or Spotify or Facebook and find us there. In this series, we've talked about identity. And the first layer of identity is that each of us are human beings. This means that everyone in this room is due dignity and value and respect because we are created in the image of God. The second layer of our identity is our general identity. And this has everything to do with what we do with the person and the work of Jesus. And so in our general identity, we are either children of God or children of wrath. Children of God are people who have taken the work that Jesus did on the cross and received that, who have confessed Jesus as their Lord and Savior. These are children of God. Children of wrath are those who have determined that they are a better God than God, that they are smarter than God, and that they desire to, uh, to live their own life the way that they want to live it. And Romans chapter 1 tells us that God, God allows us to do that. If you want to be a, ch a child of wrath, he allows you to do that. But the scary part of that verse is that it says that he will turn you over to what ought not to be done. Y'all, that's scary. So for some of you who've been trying to ride the fence of, do I want to be a follower of Jesus? Do I not want to be a follower of Jesus? That child of wrath moment is scary to think that. 
that God would turn us over, that the conscience would be gone, that the desire to do good would be gone, and now all of a sudden sin would take somebody to a level that they never wanted to go. You've heard the phrase multiple times, sin will take you further than you ever wanted to go, keep you there longer than you ever wanted to stay, and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. The next layer beyond general identity is our specific identity, and we've camped out on here for the past couple of weeks And I've tried to just show you in these messages God's unique involvement in your life since the foundation of the earth was laid. We looked at Psalm chapter 139 and Acts 17 that you've been uniquely wired by God and placed by God. There's never going to be another you. Now this weekend, some of you thought that there was another me. Okay, you came to Jacob's graduation open house or you saw my brother around town and you said, who is that woman with Pastor Jonathan that's not his wife? I will tell you that it was not me. It was my twin brother. And so as much as we look alike, some of you have been like, oh my goodness, you guys look exactly alike. Y'all talk exactly alike. Your mannerisms are just the same. I can't even believe it. Are you him or are you you? I don't even know. (laughs) Wow, huh? Yeah, but that's what I've heard this weekend, so no, no. So if you struggle to tell us apart, I'm the better looking one, right? So as much as we look alike, as much as our mannerisms are alike, he is not me and I am not him. God has uniquely wired him the way that he's wired him and shaped him and formed him to be him and to do for the kingdom what he's doing for the kingdom and has done the same thing for me. I can't walk in his identity and he can't walk in mine no matter how much we look alike. God has been at work in your physicality and in your location. Last week I talked about how God is not interested in just putting a laminate or a facade over a broken and brittle life. Instead, he wants to shape us and mold us and press us into an unbreakable weapon that can put a beating on the enemy. This week, I want us to look at the answer to this question, how do we know what our talents and abilities are? We're uniquely wired. What does that even mean? What am I supposed to be doing, and and how am I supposed to navigate and live this life? I'll tell you, it's deep work over a long period of time in community. It's deep work over a long period of time in community. That's how you discover what God's up to in your life. Before we dive into that, I want us to look at this parable in the Bible and lay a foundation of how we ought to think about the things that we're talking about in this series. This passage is about the urgency with what we have been given. The parable of the talents is found in the middle of some of Jesus' teachings about living lives of urgency because of his imminent return. I'm going to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25 this morning. Matthew chapter 25. We're going to begin reading with verse number 14, and it will also appear on the screen. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with him. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. 
You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who is not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word. For the power that it has to transform our lives. We ask that over the next few moments that we would sense a demonstration of your spirit's presence. Lord, that, that this combination, as Mackenzie talked about, of your word and your presence would just collide together to transform us. Would you open up our ears to hear and our hearts to receive and our minds to understand what you would have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. The story that precedes this passage is about internal preparedness. Is my heart ready to see Jesus? And the window of time to prepare for that moment is on this side of eternity. Once we breathe our last breath, that window of time has moved on. It's too late. We can't make the decision then. The passage of scripture we just got through reading is about urgency with the gifts and the talents that we've been given. And in this passage, there are a couple of things this parable helps us to do. Number one, it helps us to see ourselves rightly. And secondly, it helps us to see God rightly. The reason this is important is because you cannot know yourself without knowing God. Remember how we talked about a few weeks ago how most Americans determine who they are by looking in to find their deepest desires, and then they look out to find a community that will affirm and support those desires, and then they look up to try to find some kind of spirituality or religion to sprinkle on top of that. And as followers of Jesus, we need to reject that framework. We don't discover our identity as followers of Jesus by looking into our hearts. How many know that our hearts are deceptive? That's why we don't look into our hearts. We don't look into a community. Good grief. History can tell you that just because the masses of people support something doesn't mean that it's the godly thing uh, for us in our lives. And so we don't look in and then look out and then look up to discover our identity. Instead, as followers of Jesus, we just look up, right? And the clearer image and the clearer picture that we get of God, then the clearer image and picture we see of ourselves. When we see him and we know him, then we know ourselves. We figure out who we are by looking up. And the first thing we see in this parable is that God doesn't distribute talents and abilities to all alike. And for some of you, that's really hard to see. Like this parable is tough for you. To think that God would give some five and some two and one one, that's hard for you because you're like, why, why couldn't God give everyone five talents? Well, I'm just going to tell you this morning what my mama who's sitting on the second row told me growing up. Because some of y'all are like, that's not fair. Mama, what'd you tell me growing up? 
That's right. Y'all know how many times I heard that? Oh, it was so deflating. Y'all didn't hear it, did you? She said, life's not fair. Some of y'all need to say that to your kids, right? Not your neighbor and say, life's not fair. <laughs> God doesn't give all abilities, give the, distribute the talents and abilities to all alike, but he does give to each individually. In this parable, the master doesn't give five talents to each of them. Instead, remember how we talked about how we're made for the day and the day is made for us. This passage is saying your five or your two or your one talent has everything to do with the fact that God has made you for this day and this day for you. And the reality is, is that some of us would be crushed if God gave us five talents. Not all of us could handle it. So if you have one talent, God has created you for this day and you for the day. And our culture celebrates the five talent people, the celebrity, the influencer, the uber rich. We're led to believe that they are more important than the one talent person. And when we believe that way or we compare ourselves to others, it's an accusation against God. And according to this passage, we know that, that super gifted people aren't more loved by God or have more of God's favor on their lives. We have a very talented church. We have a very talented staff and incredibly talented volunteers. It's unbelievable. I look around this room right now, and I see some of you, and I'm like, wow, God held nothing back with you, right? He spared nothing. He just gave it all to you. And if we're not careful, what we can do in those moments is, is when we don't feel as gifted as someone else, we can think that somehow God loves someone else more than he loves us or that he's given a special dispensation of the pleasure of God in their lives. And I'll just tell you this morning, whether you have five, two, or one, we all just need to live out, uh, live into the days that God has created for us. The metrics we use for success are not the same metrics that God uses. God's rubric is about faith and obedience, and risk, and courage, and the willingness to step into what he's built you for and not trying to be a cheap imitation of somebody else. When we see God rightly, we see ourselves rightly. Last week, we talked about the importance of living in community with one another. A number of years ago, there was this talent show on TV. I don't even remember what it was called, and I'm just telling you, brace yourself, it was bad and very cringy, very cringy. So in this talent show, people would stand up and they would sing. And the people who were really good at singing were told by the judges that they were awful and they were not advanced to the next round. The people who could not sing were told how amazing that they were and they advanced to the next round to ultimately the end of the show being the worst singer winning this award that they thought was because they were the best singer. Some of you are like, that's disgusting. It was. Like, it is as cringy and as bad as what it sounds. But the people made an absolute idiot out of themselves on national television because nobody had the courage along the way to say to them, you are incredible. You have been made in the image of God. I'm sure you have a lot of gifts and abilities and talents, but that's not one of them. Right, And then to take it to the next level, like we talked about last week of living in community, being known by others and knowing others and looking at them and saying, that's not what God has created you for, but let me tell you what I see in you. Let me tell you the talents and the gifts and the abilities I see in you. Nobody had the courage to tell those people that. There are people that you work with that have a skill set that's not yours. 
And if you try to do what they do, you would burn yourself out and, uh, and leave frustrated because you don't have the skills that they have. A few years ago, I had to observe an organization for my master's program, and I chose Rada here in town. It's a manufacturing company, and I got to go on a tour and observe that. And I'm just telling you, I'm about to talk about a job that's very noble. There's nothing bad about the job. It's just not a job that I would want. Are you tracking with me? Okay, so I'm not making fun of the job. I'm not speaking disparagingly about the job. It's a great job, and it's a noble job. Are we all on the same page? Great. So I go on the tour of this plant, and I walk up to this station where one person stands there for eight hours a day. They grab a blade. They buff it. They flip it over, buff that side, and they set it here. They grab the next blade. They buff it, they flip it over, they set it here. They grab the next blade, they buff it, they flip it over and buff it, and they set it here. And some of you are like, that sounds like a dream job. I don't have to deal with people, I don't have to talk to anybody, I can clock out at the end of the day, and there are some of you who are like, that's amazing. Are they hiring? I have no idea. I'm sure they are. Everybody's hiring. There are others of you who are like, there's no way I could do that job. I'm just telling you, if that was my job, I would go crazy, literally go crazy, because it's not how God has wired me. It's not how he's wired me. Some of you are, oh, I'm watching my mama laugh. She's like, no, he's wired you to talk. That's <laughs> Here's the reality. You're not going to be the best at everything, and you might not be the best at a lot of things but you've been gifted by God. You've been given at least a talent. My dad is here this morning sitting on the second row, and uh, about four and a half years ago, I, he helped, not helped, he refinished the floor. I was gonna say I helped, but I didn't really. Uh, he refinished the floor, and uh, he's very gifted with his hands. And my uncle's sitting here, both of them. There's like, there's nothing that, the either, that either of the two of them can't do with their hands. There was a funky smell in our building yesterday. And I was like, what is this funky, this has nothing to do with their hands, and now it's talking about their noses. They're just that smart. <laughs> And so two different staff members are like, it stinks in here. And I'm like, well, okay. So I said to my dad and uncle, I said, hey, I need y'all to help me discover what this is. Well, uh, it was from some chemicals. And so we discovered what the smell was. And so now, now we know because y'all are smart. So they got talents. I don't even know. The rest of the staff couldn't figure out what was causing the smell. They helped us discover what the smell is. Anyway, four and a half years ago, my dad's here. There's nothing he can't do with his hands. He sands down this floor. And he's got the buffer. I was told I can't go over there because it's dark. But see that corner of the stage over there? That's where a buffer was. How many know what a buffer is? A buffer is this heavy piece of machinery. <laughs> it's round down here, and it's got handles up here. And, uh, and so I said, Dad, you want me to help buff? And he said, sure. So the buffer is on the edge of the stage. And if you've never run a buffer before, it's trickier than you think it is. And I squeezed that handle of the buffer and almost danced both of us off of the stage. Right? I don't have the same gifts as him. It's not the talent that God has given me. And I just want to say to some of you this morning, too many people are trying to live someone else's life. They're trying to step into a skill set that doesn't exist for them to live up to someone else's expectations. And God's not calling us to live up to somebody else's expectations. He's calling us to live out the life that he's called us to live. God is calling each of us to utilize the talents that he's given us. 
So some of your gifts were born of your unique design. They were instilled in you from birth. In addition to the natural gifts and talents as followers of Jesus, we're given spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 4 says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Two different passages talking about the gifts that God has given to us, the talents that he's given to us, the spiritual gifts. And he doesn't give all gifts to everybody, but he's the one who's the giver of the gifts, and he's the one who decides which gifts we get. Variety of gifts, but the same spirit. Variety of activities, but the same God. We tend to look around and go, wow, that person has all of the things. And I've got this baby gift here. And God's like, no, you're, you're all part of the same team. And we realize that we're part of the same team. It frees us up to celebrate one another. And so if someone has the same gift as me or a completely different gift than I have, I can celebrate them because we're part of the same team. So a variety of gifts, a ver- variety of activities, variety of callings, same Lord, same God, same gospel, same mission. What God is doing is building a team based off of his sovereign will to cause problems for the enemy. And I hope that you've seen through this series how spiritually dangerous you are to Satan's schemes. In order for us to see us correctly, we have to see God correctly, which leads us to seeing ourselves correctly and then playing our spots You know that I'm horrible with sports analogies. I hate to wade into them, but I think I'm going to be safe with this one this morning. A few weeks ago, there was a donkey basketball tournament held right here in Waverly at the Waverly Shell Rock Gym. Okay, how many of you have ever seen donkey basketball? Okay, if you've not seen it, find an FFH person and make sure that next year you go experience donkey basketball. It is exactly that. It's donkeys on a basketball court, and you're riding the donkey and trying to make baskets, okay? So somehow my son and Wes got recruited to, to play donkey basketball. So I go and watch this game. And at the end of the final championship game, it came to a tie. So the announcer said, the way that we're going to break the tie is with a dance-off. Larry, I've never been more proud of these boys. <laughs> out of all of the boys out there, they were the ones that were selected to be the two boys from their team to do the dance-off. Yeah. My son, Jacob, you know what, why don't both of you just stand right now, right? I cooked food for your graduation party, right? See both of them. Okay. All right. Yeah, thank you. You, you can be seated. They're like, you owe me. No, I don't. You had a graduation party Friday. Like, that was payment enough, right? Okay. So here's this dance-off, and all of a sudden, 
Wes takes off running across the gym. Jacob reaches out his arms. He catches Wes, lifts Wes up in the air, spins him around. You have never seen such emotion at a donkey basketball game. People are weeping. It's so beautiful. Both of these young men are very strong. But each were created and shaped for each of those unique roles. If the roles were reversed and Wes tried to do for Jacob what Jacob did for Wes, we would have attended his funeral. He would have been crushed. Can I tell you what Wes didn't do on the basketball court that day? He didn't stand over here and pout. I wanted to be the lifter. How come I can't be the lifter? I don't want to do it if I can't be that part. Right, instead, Wes recognized his role. Jacob recognized his role. They were on the same team and they won. They brought home the championship. Now, I set you up for this. Some of you are sitting there pouting. You're pouting because you look at the gifts that somebody else has. And so you've just stood over here and you're like, God, you didn't give me the gift that you gave to the other person. And so I'm just going to sit here and pout. And God wants you to know today that he has uniquely wired you and gifted you and shaped you and formed you. And he's given you the talents that you need for this day. And he's created this day for you. And he has divinely assembled a team. And we are all part of the same team. And if each of us will play our position and will do our part, then we're going to walk out of here victoriously. Oh, let's go back to the parable. Let's talk about the guy with the one talent. If you read the passage, he had no eagerness and no urgency. He had no joy or confidence. Instead, he makes accusations against the character of God. The Bible speaks of this man as lazy and wicked. And I don't know how you're wired, but I'm not wired to want to hear the words from God that I'm lazy or wicked. And this man was lazy and wicked. And I think this is how this works. When you don't see God rightly, and you don't see yourself rightly, you'll begin to think thoughts about God, about who he is and what he does that are out of step with who he is and what he does. And so some of you have been led to believe that if you become a follower of Jesus, you'll never face hardship ever again and that life will be easy. But God doesn't promise us that. But what God does promise us is that he will be with us. And so come what may, the God of the universe, the creator of the universe will be with us. There's a confidence that comes when we recognize that we belong to him. And so come what may, I am a beloved son of God. And it's not by my own act, but it's his sovereign will in ransoming me and rescuing me to himself. This guy in the parable lost sight of it. And maybe he just thought that God is so rich and his talent is so small Maybe he thought that it didn't matter. Maybe he thought because others were given so much more that his was insignificant and that God wouldn't care. 
But if you're made for the day and the day for you, then God is intimately involved in forming you and shaping you and redeeming you and redeeming your hurt and redeeming your victories and losses and then giving you a life of purpose and belonging with an unshakable identity. So this thinking of my gift is too small, he's so rich, is an accusation against God. This is why God calls him wicked and lazy. He doesn't see God correctly. We know that God is very generous. When you even think back to this parable, these three men were given something by the master, right? This wasn't their own money. The master is the one who gave five, gave three, and gave one. Everything we have is ultimately God's. And we're just stewards of it. C.S. Lewis used the phrase, sixpence, none the richer. And he used this phrase to describe when a parent gives money to a kid to purchase said parent a gift. Some of you have babies. One day, you're going to have to give money to your kids so that they can purchase your, the, their mom a Mother's Day gift or a Father's Day gift. And that's what C.S. Lewis calls Sixpence, none the richer. And so it is with us. Everything that we have is God's. I have nothing that does not rightly belong to the creator of the universe. And there's some of you who bristle at that statement. And one of the reasons why you bristle at that statement is because one of the first words out of your mouth when you were an infant learning to talk was the word mine. Mine. Some of you are like, no, it was dad or mom. You know, I'm just telling you, mine was a close second or third, at least with our children, right? And so another kid comes along, and they want to play with the toy that that kid has. What do they say? Right. And some of you are no longer children, but you haven't outgrown that word. And so you bristle at this thought that God owns everything because in your mind, everything that you have is mine. Right? The second reason why you bristle at it is because you think that and somehow you worked hard for everything that you have. And I'm not discounting hard work. But I think if you're honest with yourself, you've seen others who've worked equally as hard as what you have who have not experienced the same level of success that you've experienced. Right? None of us are self-made people. And so it's God who pours out his favor and blessings upon each of us. God is generous. It's God who gives, God who saves, God who blesses, God who makes the way and positions us rightly. It's God at work. And in verse number 25, the servant gets real honest about why he was paralyzed. He said because he was afraid. He was afraid because he didn't know who God was. He said God was unjust and wicked and harsh. And people still make the same accusation against God today. If there was a God, he would help me out. If there was a God, then this wouldn't have happened or that would happen. The servant says he was afraid of what would happen if he failed. And God's scorecard is not the same as ours. What God honors and delights in and rejoices in is faith, not our metrics for success. I think when we get to the other side of eternity and we make it to heaven, there are some of us who are going to be rocked by who we see were really big deals and who weren't. Again, because God's scorecard is different. So one man given five, one man given two, and one given one. The one with five and the one with two both heard this phrase, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And so we go back again to our general identity. We are either children of God or children of wrath. 
This parable tells us that at the end of this race of faith, we are going to hear two responses when we face judgment. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, who are children of God, we will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And to the children of wrath, they will hear, hear in verse number 30, it says, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is why this series is so important. If we have an inaccurate view of God, then we, bec we can become universalist and think that all roads lead to heaven, that everybody's going to make it. Can I tell you this morning, not everybody's going to make it. The Bible tells us that. Jesus said there's only one way to the Father, and that's through him. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is why it's important for us to see who God is rightly so we can see ourselves rightly and to utilize the talents he's given us for his glory. That we would make it our life's mission to urgently and effectively discover and develop the gifts he's given us and make sure that we do everything that we can to empty hell and populate heaven. Some of you are like, I don't know how I'm specifically wired. Can I encourage you like I do each week? Go through growth track. Pastor Dan sitting on the third row with Lindsay right over here. They lead growth track on a reoccurring basis. Sign up for it. Let them take you on a process of discovering the gifts and the talents that God has given to you. We have these tools to help you discover those gifts, and then we can help find ways to, in your life and in the church and in the school and in the community, put those things into action. But before you find out what your unique gifts are, you need to understand how important your design and the urgency of using your gifts, whatever they are. And today you can settle that with God. You can resolve not to be like the person with one talent, hiding it in fear and accusing God, and instead have the attitude of the other two servants that you're gonna use your gifts and multiply them for the glory of God. Will you bow your heads and will you close your eyes all across this room? Maybe there are some of you who've come in today and you've never confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior and so you're living in that general identity as a child of wrath and you say today I wanna move from being a child of wrath to being a child of God. Maybe there are others of you who've one time walked with God but you've turned your back on Him. You say today I need to see my relationship restored back to Him just a moment with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, you say, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time. Or you say, I need to see my relationship restored back to him. When I count to three, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room? One, two, three, lift them up all across this room. Thank you, I see that hand. One, two, you can put them down. Are there others this morning? Let's all stand. There were at least two hands that went up this morning of people who need to ask Jesus to come into their life for the very first time or who need to see their relationship restored back to him. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. And if you raised your hand, I want you to repeat it after me and mean it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father,
thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. If you prayed that prayer today, we would ask that you would text the word yes to 319-250-8998. We would encourage you in the decision that you've made today in the journey that God wants to take you on. Again, text the word yes to 319-250-8998. I've asked Pastor Fisher and Kari to join me. You may be seated for just a moment. They're just going to share a brief testimony in hopes, and my hope is that it will build your faith today. The worship team will lead us in another song in just a moment, and the prayer team will come forward. But God has done something awesome in the two of your lives. And so thank you for being willing. This, for those of you who don't know how painfully shy that Kari is, I'm telling you, she's painfully shy. The very fact that she even called me to tell me that she wanted to share the testimony, I was like, whoa, that's amazing. And then for you to have the courage to stand up here is phenomenal. Look at you stepping into the days that God has created you for, right? So anyway, please share. As I was reading in Acts recently, a verse stood out to me. Acts 12.5 says, So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Peter was chained up in prison with four soldiers guarding him all hours of the day. Before Peter was put in prison, King Herod had killed James, who was also a part of the church. The body of believers was being persecuted, and their leaders were being killed and imprisoned. The verse says that Peter was put in prison, the church earnestly prayed to God. What does earnestly praying look like? It means that you're trusting in God and believing with faith that your prayers will be answered. They prayed with strong faith that Peter would be delivered from prison. The situation that Peter was in seemed like there was going to be one end result, death. The church did not stop praying even though the situation didn't seem like it would end the way they'd hoped. They prayed for God to miraculously help Peter escape from prison and continue to share the good news. The night before his trial, an angel came to Peter in prison. His chains fell, and he walked out of prison with the angel past the prison guards. He had escaped from a situation that seemed impossible to escape. Peter did not escape because of his prayers alone. He was rescued by God because a body of believers were praying and believing for this miracle to take place. Just like Peter, I've seen the power of prayer in my own life recently. Last March, Fisher and I welcomed our twins, Macklin and Ellery, to this world. Our little girl, Ellery, was in the NICU in Iowa City due to intestinal issues. At 17 days old, she had surgery on her intestines. We were told that the recovery period for the surgery would be one to two weeks. This would make her whole NICU stay a month long, splitting our family up that whole time. Fisher and I had been in prayer over the situation from the first day in the NICU, but we knew we needed other believers praying with us and for Ellery. Two days after surgery, Pastor Jonathan and our church prayed for Ellery and that she would have a recovery much quicker than anticipated. After our church prayed, Ellery's team of doctors came in five minutes later to tell us that we were coming home in two days. God answered our prayers. What was supposed to be one to two weeks ended up being five days of recovery. When we surrounded ourselves with other believers who prayed for her, 
and believed in the power of prayer, God heard those prayers. God is still listening and hearing our prayers. What may be going on in your life that seems like an impossible prayer? Continue to go to God in earnest prayer over it. Have other believers join you in prayer. God is listening. The same God that rescued Peter from prison can rescue us and perform miracles in our lives too. Let's give it up for Kari. Isn't it fun to see her without twins? Let's pray. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for bringing us through that. Thank you for the opportunity to, to grow our faith and the courage to talk about it now. I just pray that if others are going through that right now, God, or going through something impossible, that they would see um, Ellery, the beautiful, healthy girl that she is, as an example, that you still move, you still split the waters, God. You can move mountains. Thank you, God, for friends in this church that would call us and pray with us even though we didn't want to talk. Uh, just relentlessly praying, and not just praying, but earnestly praying, which is a prayer where we believe it can make a difference. Not just praying, but praying where we believe that it really matters what we're saying. Thank you, God. I pray that it, those of us that have gone through things, they don't just leave it at that, God, but we thank you for it. Thank you for bringing us through it, and we use it to build others up. God, we give it to you. It's in your name. Amen. Well, we hope this builds your faith. It wasn't easy going through it, but it was easier knowing that we had a God who cared about us and a church that was behind us. I remember watching uh, Jonathan in the church pray. We were in the hospital room just watching him online, and then the doctor's coming in. It was awesome. It was like so perfect. It couldn't be a coincidence. Like it was just, yeah, it was amazing. It was awesome. But we have a team, a prayer team that's going to come up here and pray, and Kari and I are going to be down here, and we want to pray with you um, and just encourage you that God's still moving. If you'll stand, we're going to sing one more song. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.